Open your Bibles this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, and you may want to stick something in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 22, and Isaiah chapter 30, and there'll be a couple of other things. I will be in Acts 3 also, so if you want to put something there, but I'll be putting most of the verses up on here today, I think most of them. But we had to take a couple detours recently. Um, you know, we did the, the millennial generation. There is a generation. We did politics in the pulpit. So now we're going to come back to rightly dividing the word of truth this, today. And as we do this, just let me say that as we're studying the Hebrew epistles, it's always wise to understand who something is not written to. It's always wise to understand what something doesn't mean before you turn and look at it and see what it does mean. But it's always been an observation of mine that you can better understand what something means by understanding what it doesn't mean. Okay? If you can arrive at what it doesn't mean, then you can eventually get to what it actually is saying. So... The same is true with the Hebrew epistles. It's wise for us to understand who they're not written to. Then you can understand who they are written to. When I first saw the need to rightly divide the word of truth, it was based on 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, which don't look at that yet. We're going to look at it today within the context of this message. But it was that verse that opened my understanding and said, holy moly, there is something in here that's not written to me. And that was the beginning of rightly dividing the word of truth for our, for our assembly. So we're studying the Hebrew epistles to understand that they are not written to us as Gentiles in the dispensation of grace. So we've been, we have been through a basic survey of Hebrews and James so far. This was the timeline that we used last time. Now, we're going to begin looking at 1 Peter, and uh, I know we'll never get to 2 Peter today. I mean, we're not even... I ended up having so much material on this 1 Peter subject that... So, Peter, in chapter 1, begins verse 1 by telling you that he's writing to the strangers that are scattered abroad. You remember this time, we looked at this map last time that shows all the places that Peter mentions in the first verse. You also remember that we mentioned that the Hebrew epistles always give you root signs as to where you are in God's prophetic timeline. Like we said we're on route 666. This route leads us right smack dab into the middle of Antichrist territory in the tribulation period. These people are in for the ride of their life. Now, actually, before we get into 1 Peter, I want to set the stage. In the epistles of Hebrew and James in the last couple of weeks, we clearly saw that there are road signs or root signs in those epistles that let us know where we are. The writer to the Hebrews spoke of the last days in chapter 1. 
He introduces the prophets again. They talk about the throne because now the throne is in view for Israel. The throne that was promised by Jesus Christ back here in the Gospels, in the four Gospels, is now in view to these people in the book of Hebrews. And he also talked about signs. Signs are something that belong to Israel. The Jews require a sign. We walk by faith, not by sight. So Israel always required signs. They're going to get their signs back. James spoke about the synagogue. You remember that? He also spoke about the kingdom. He spoke about the royal law. And he also spoke about the judge. All of these things have to do with a body of doctrine that belongs to Israel. It's obvious when we get to the book of Hebrews that the landscape has changed. There's no more peaceful, serene, beautiful, calm landscape. You're entering into a very tumultuous, troublesome time that Israel is always identified with in, in the Word of God. Matter of fact, when we were... We, when, uh, I was looking at this this week. In my Bible, 1 Peter, let me get there. 1 Peter is on the same page as the last verses of the book of James. And as I was looking at 1 Peter, my eye shot up to James chapter 5. And I noticed a word that I had not mentioned in, since, you know, when we, we went through the book of James... And it's a word that also lets us know that James could not possibly be writing to the body of Christ. And I'm referring to James chapter 5, verse 9. Grudge not once against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. And verse 12 in the same chapter. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Now this concept of condemnation is not something that you as a member of the body of Christ who has been justified by faith in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ have to worry about. We read in Romans chapter 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ. It's not possible for you to end up in condemnation. But here's a group of people who are being warned that they can be condemned. And in the tribulation period, Israel is on very slippery ground. So the thought of condemnation rests heavily upon Israel in the tribulation period. Now when we arrive at 1 Peter, the intensity of the trials begins to increase. What do I mean by that? Well, the tribulation period is divided into two periods of time of three and a half years each. The first half being less severe than the second half. The books of Hebrews and the book of James are reintroducing Israel to the program that they fell from, that they fell from back here, which was postponed and introduced the dispensation of grace. Now we're caught out of here. When we arrive here, Hebrews to James starts right here. 
These epistles start right here, and they're reintroducing Israel to that program that they fell from in Acts chapter 7. There is a reorientation process for Israel that is necessary for these people. There is a body of doctrine that is written exclusively for Israel as they go through the tribulation period in this time when the Antichrist is in full force against them. In the same way that there's a body of doctrine written for us, Rome is to Philemon. Paul said, I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. In the same way that we have a body of doctrine, they have a body of doctrine, Hebrews through Revelation. That's their doctrine for that specific period of time that they're going to go through. That's why we rightly divide the word of truth. So the first three and a half years of the tribulation are not as severe. And that's why... The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. In the first half, they haven't yet resisted unto blood. They're going to be resisting unto blood in the second half, but not in the first half. So... The writer to the Hebrews is basically saying, so far, things have not gotten too bad for you. But as we progress further into the tribulation, things will get worse. When you arrive at 1 Peter, things are getting bad. At this juncture in the tribulation period, they're being tried. And there is a policy of termination by the Antichrist against Israel. It's been leveled against them. He is out to destroy Israel. I mean, the goal of the Antichrist is to completely destroy Israel from the face of the earth. You know, last week, or last time we were on this subject, when I looked at the book of Proverbs and the book of the Revelation, I said that there are many Christians who do not know that the book of Proverbs is a prophetic book pointing into the future. The book of Proverbs is way back here, pointing way out here in the tribulation period and in the millennial reign of Christ. I said that the word king is found 22 times in the book of Proverbs. And it points way out here in the future. The book of Psalms does exactly the same things. The book of Psalms, to many Christians, is this lovey-dovey book where you have the heart of God and you establish this warm, fuzzy relationship with God. For many Christians, that's what the book of Psalms is. The book of Psalms, when you read the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms is a book of war. It is a book of trouble. It is a book of anguish and pain that Israel is going through. Antichrist wants to destroy Israel. Matter of fact, Look at this verse in Psalm 83, a song or psalm of Asaph. This is right in the tribulation period. Keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. 
They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. Who are the hidden ones? Man, in the tribulation period, they're hiding. They're running from, they're running. Remember that prayer? Where Jesus Christ said, well, it wasn't a prayer, but he said in the tribulation, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened. When you're running from the Antichrist and they're hiding you, there will be people hiding Jews in the tribulation period in the same way that there were people who hid Jews in Hitler's reign. They had built tunnels for Jews to escape from Hitler. The same thing will happen in the tribulation period. And they're hiding. Notice it says, they said, they have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance for they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. That's the Antichrist and those that are working with him in the tribulation period to destroy Israel from the face of the earth. That's what the book of Psalms is about. When you talk about David, I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble this, I'm in trouble that. You're not talking about, this is a prophetic book. You have to remember those things when you read your Bible. Confederacy means that they have joined forces together against God and against his people. They've united all their power against God. And they're out to destroy and to terminate Israel from the face of the earth. So you need to understand that when we arrive at 1 Peter, these are the prevailing conditions that exist at that time. When you, when you arrive at the Hebrew epistles, you are now seeing the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy about Israel's program. Until now, Hebrew and James have taught them how to conduct themselves in the face of opposition and of hatred. The last words of the book of Hebrews, the last is this, and I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in few words. Receiving the word of exhortation is receiving the word of encouragement that is written for your benefit. Receive the words of comfort because in the tribulation period, you will need this comfort. Hebrews to Revelation are words of exhortation to the nation of Israel as they go through this horrible time in their, experience, in their, in their history. Now, before we begin 1 Peter, remember, this is what Hebrews and James spoke about so far. All of these subjects, which identify them as that nation going through the tribulation period. Now, you should be in 1 Peter, right? So get the 1 Peter in your Bible. We're still on the Antichrist road. We've already covered the, the scattered in verse 1. We did that already. Notice down in verse 3. Notice verse 3. Some verses I'm not putting up here today because I want to keep the timeline here just to 
keep us focused on where we are. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice here that Peter talks about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? But he is not preaching this like the Apostle Paul preached it to you. That's not what he's doing. Because the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ here is associated with an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not, it's reserved in heaven for you. There's something waiting for you, but you don't have it yet, Israel. You have all of the benefits of the cross of Jesus Christ today. You have that. Matter of fact, verse 5 says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed. You see, what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has done for Israel hasn't been revealed to them yet now. Let me make this clear. In the dispensation of grace that we live in, both Jews and Gentiles are saved by the cross of Jesus Christ. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. There is no difference between a Jew and a Gentile living today. But when this dispensation is over and the body of Christ is caught out of here, God resumes a program with Israel that was spoken of since the world began. And that program, this cross, now he's telling them that what happened back here now is going to be revealed. But it hasn't even been revealed yet in the tribulation period. So according to verse 5, there is a salvation that is ready to be revealed. In other words, there is a salvation for Israel that has not yet been revealed. This is very important. When will it be revealed? Well, notice that he says, oh, he says in the last time. The very last words of verse 5. In the last time. Now think about this for a moment. The word salvation. In the same way that every time you see the word church in your Bible, it doesn't always refer to the body of Christ, the church which is his body. It doesn't always refer to that. Every time you see the word gospel in the Bible, it does not always refer to the gospel of the grace of God that we know of today, that we preach today. Not even close. Well, it's the same thing with the word salvation. The word salvation has more than one meaning in your Bible. And in the con whatever the context is will determine what that salvation is. But as an example for the word church, in Acts chapter 7, verse 38, Stephen talked about the church in the wilderness. Well, the church in the wilderness was back here with Moses. 
No one in their right mind believes that the church, the body of Christ, existed back there. But yet Moses called, uh, Stephen called the people that were with Moses the church in the wilderness. So what does a church mean? Well, it just means called out ones. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus Christ talked about the church that the gates of hell would not prevail against. Everybody thinks that's the body of Christ. I mean, if you're in denominational Christianity, you think that's the body of Christ. The church that Jesus Christ spoke of is found in Acts chapter 1 in the upper room, praying and waiting for the, the Holy Spirit to come down. That church, the kingdom church, the ones who were told that they were going into a kingdom. When Jesus Christ spoke in the Gospels, he was always referring to this period of time. And the reason we know that is because your apostle, who said, I speak to you Gentiles, said that what he was speaking of here in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. What he said was not made known. So what they're talking about here has to goes over this because this was a secret hidden God. Same with the word gospel. Jesus Christ went everywhere preaching the gospel of the kingdom with signs following, healing and miracles and everywhere he went. That was the gospel of the kingdom. It was a gospel that was associated with signs and wonders and diverse miracles of the Holy Spirit. But upon the stoning of Stephen, the gospel of the kingdom was replaced with the gospel of the grace of God. Out here in the tribulation period, according to Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, the gospel that will be preached out here is called the everlasting gospel. You know who's preaching it? Angels. <laughs> That's completely different. So every time you see church, it's not always the same. Every time you see gospel, it's not always the same. And every time you see the word salvation, it's not always the same. The salvation that we're familiar with is the one that was revealed to us by the Apostle Paul or given to us by Paul. It's the salvation, of your, of, it's the salvation that you get through the gospel of grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved. Through faith, that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3.5, not, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. That's salvation. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's our salvation. It's the salvation that we get through the gospel that Paul preached, like he said in 1 Corinthians 1.17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Our gospel produces salvation unto eternal life. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. That's one meaning of the word salvation. Justification unto eternal life. Do you have eternal life? You do if Jesus Christ is your Savior. You don't if Jesus Christ is not your Savior. You don't have it. Someone said, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. Really? How does that work? Just imagine going 
going into one of the finest neighborhoods in Connecticut, in some of the ritziest houses in, in Connecticut, and you go and you knock on the door, and the, the owner comes, yes. Well, listen, uh, I want to come live with you because I'm a good person. Huh? Is that how you get into that house? Well, if that man's not going to let you in because you're a good person, you think that the king of the universe is going to let you into his house because you think you're a good person? That's not the way in. That's not how it works. Nobody can be good enough to go to heaven. That's why Jesus Christ died for us. That's why he hung on a cross, allowed himself to be nailed, where he bled and he died and he was buried for us. And when we believe the death, burial, and resurrection, and we trust his blood to forgive us of all our sins, God gives us eternal life. And then we accept it in the beloved, and we don't have to knock and say, I'm coming in because I'm a good person. Remember when Peter was drowning? He saw Jesus Christ walk on water. He said, I can do that. And he went out there, and he sank. And what did he say? Lord, save me. And Jesus Christ pulled him out of the water. That's another salvation. But it's not salvation unto eternal life. The salvation that Peter is talking about here in verse 5 is Israel's national salvation as a nation, not individual soul salvation like you and I got. You know, when Peter preached in Acts chapter 3, when he preached after Pentecost, every time Peter mentions the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he never, ever, ever preaches it as good news. He always presents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to Israel as bad news as he's indicting them for the murder of their king. That's always why he preaches, the, that's always why he mentions the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice in your Bible, Acts chapter 3, I asked you to mark Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, notice in verse 14, Peter says, is speaking to these leaders of Israel, he says, but ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life. You killed him, Israel, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And then in this chapter, he speaks of the salvation that Peter says is ready to be revealed in the last time. He's going to talk about that salvation, and he's going to put it in a future tense. He's not going to put it as though it's something they possess right now. This is very important. This is very important. Remember in chapter 2, he spoke of the last days. Now, when he writes in 1 Peter, same guy, same guy, he calls it the last time. Last days, last time. Notice in verse 18 of chapter 3 of Acts. But those things 
which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, so hath he fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. That your sins may be blotted out. Listen, this is after the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul is right, it's, uh, Peter is talking to Israel right here. And he says, repent that your sins may be blotted out. There was nothing blotted out at the cross when it happened. This message of the cross, when Paul preached it, said it was something that he was preaching in due time. That he had manifested the cross through preaching in due time. Paul received a, a, a message. But notice he says this, okay, that your sins may be blotted out when... When is a word that has to do with time? When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. When, Peter says, the times of refreshing shall come. Right here, at the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus Christ returns, here's the time of refreshing the world to come, the millennial reign of Christ. Notice, Verse 20, and he shall send Jesus Christ, right here, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive, that happened right here, whom the heaven must receive, when Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven, whom the heaven must receive, until the times of restitutions of all things, the time of restitution is the tribulation period, when God restores everything back to the way it's supposed to be, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Peter talks about Israel's salvation in Acts chapter 3 as something that's going to happen in the future, not as something that has happened like to you who are members of the body of Christ in the dispensation of grace. Notice in Romans 11, I know I didn't tell you to mark this, but notice in Romans 11, Romans chapter 11, Verse 25, Paul said, For I would not, brethren, that ye should, be, ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until, now until also is a word that denotes time. Okay? until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Now, in these verses, we're going to read three verses, it tells you when the fullness of the Gentiles is going to be. It's going to be right here. Here's the fullness of the Gentiles at the end of the tribulation period. That's what it is, okay? And I'm going to show it to you. It's right here. It, it, it explains itself, okay? Verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved. When? When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. When will Israel be saved? At the end of the tribulation period, in the last time. This is when their salvation happens. Notice he says, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from, from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall 
take away their sins. This is the salvation that Peter is talking about in chapter 1, which you may want to turn back there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the last time right here at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter is going to reiterate this truth several times just in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. I want you to see it. Notice beginning at verse 7. Peter says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at, at, See that, those two little words? See those two letters? A-T? At the appearing of Jesus Christ. Nothing's happening before that for Israel. Okay? See that? One little word, two letters, tells you the whole story of Israel's redemption. Verse 18, Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now notice verse 19. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Receiving the end of your faith. Here's the end. Here's the end of their faith right there. Could anything be clearer than that? Peter's looking into the future for something that will happen to Israel. This is not something that can be said about the body of Christ. This is not something that can be said about you. This kind of language is foreign, foreign to those of us who are members of the body of Christ, who are in Christ, who've been delivered from the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son, this language of the future, you're seated with Christ right now. Together with Him right now. Something completely different. Amen? Now, the next verses that we'll look at are 100% dispensational. And no one can look at this verse and be confused about what Peter is talking about, what Peter is saying. Now, you and I, we all know what the revelation of Jesus Christ is. We know that the last book of the Bible is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It has to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ right here at the end of the tribulation period. That's what the book of the Revelation is about. It's about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay? It happens at the end of the tribulation period, not before. Okay, we know that, right? 1 Peter 1.13. This was the verse. When I read this verse one time, I, mean, I hadn't read it many times. I used to love Peter. Somebody told me I was just like Peter once. <laughs> we, were, we were watching, uh, this was way back in Florida. I'd only been saved at that point two, three years. 
I was really rough around the edges back then. <laughs> and we're a whole group of Christian singles. We were gathered at my apartment. And we were watching a movie, Jesus of Nazareth. And it was right about at the beginning when Jesus is walking by the, he's walking by the shore of Sea of Galilee and he calls you. Come with me. You follow. And he's calling his disciples. And he, when he gets to Peter, Peter is like, you know, he's rambunctious. He's got rebellion in him. And, he, and Jesus Christ is staring at him. And Peter says, what are you staring at? Like that. And everybody in that room looked at me and started laughing. They thought I was like Peter. So I used to love Peter. I loved reading Peter, you know, just knowing I had something in common with him. <laughs> well, verse 13, okay, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. Look, hope to the end. The end of what? The end of the tribulation period. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I remember this the, the time I read that, and those words leaped off the page. At, there's that little word again, two, two letters, at. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. I remember looking up at the ceiling and saying to myself, Peter's writing to people who are alive at the second coming of Jesus Christ. I've been gone out of here at least seven years. Peter's not writing to me. I remember the day that happened. I remember where I was sitting. The day that that happened. I, it, this was like a, the, the revelation of all revelations for me. That that. Peter's not writing to me. And that was huge because it destroyed everything I thought I knew about the Bible. Every preacher I'd ever heard preaching on Peter was preaching as though it was written to me, as though it was written to members of the body of Christ. And nothing could have been further from that truth. Verse 13 he clearly identifies who he's speaking to, and you have to willfully reject this simple and clear teaching of the Word of God in order to arrive at any other conclusion. You have to willfully blind yourself and say, No, it doesn't mean that's not what my pastor teaches. And you have to willfully say, I will listen to that man and not listen to the word of God. Which is willful rebellion against the word of God itself. Go back to verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready. That salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. So what they're going through right now, as Peter writes to them, is the last time known as the tribulation period or the last days. Those days were interrupted. Peter said right here in Acts 2, this is that which was spoken by the, pro by, by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. 
Peter was in the last days. But they stoned Stephen. The last days were interrupted. And the last days begin here. And now he calls it the last time. Notice verse 6. Wherein? Wherein what? The salvation that is yours in the last days. In view of that. In view of the fact that that is going to happen. You greatly rejoice. They know something's coming. You know, Israel, after the rapture of the church, there are supernatural things that begin to happen again. You know, there's 144,000 evangelists raised up from the 12 different tribes of Israel. You know, today, a Jew doesn't know what tribe he belongs to because all of the records of the Jews were burnt in the library in Alexandria 2,000 years ago. All those records were burnt. Nobody knows what tribe they belong to. God knows where every single Jew in this world is and what tribe they belong to. And after the the church is caught out of here, they're going to be gathered and there'll be 12,000 from every tribe. And they become the evangelists in the tribulation period. And they're going to be supernaturally empowered and supernaturally endowed with the knowledge of what's going on, and they're going to know they are in the last time, and they are going to understand these Hebrew epistles. They're going to understand it. Now, if you're a Jew today, and you're saved by grace through faith in the finished work of the cross of Christ, you're going in the rapture. You're going in the catching away of the body of Christ. You're not staying here to go through the tribulation period. You're going, because you're a member of the body of Christ. But there are millions of Jews today who are not members of the body of Christ, and they're going into that tribulation period. There will be good things happening, and there will be bad things happening to those people. But notice he says, you greatly rejoice. In verse 6, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Verse 6 introduces us to manifold temptations. Manifold temptations are trials. And these are only for a season. So in light of what's happening... In biblical prophecy, how long is this season going to be? Yeah, this season is Daniel's 70th week. Daniel's 70th week is seven years long. And there's a purpose for this season. Notice verse 7. That the trial of your faith, that's the purpose for this season. The issue with Israel is that when they rejected their Messiah, they hung him on a cross, they nailed him, and they did that because they had no faith. When they stoned Stephen in Acts chapter 7, they rejected his message because they had no faith. Faith was their issue. Faith was their problem. Lack of faith was their problem. The tribulation period is going to try Their faith. Now, how does God view faith? Even today, God views faith as a very precious thing, but it's going to be precious there also. He says that the trial of your faith, 
and your faith is being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at, oh man, there's those, that little word again, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 7, they're going to be tried with something. They're going to be tried with fire. Remember how we said last week that James brought in Job as an example of patience and suffering? And then at the end of the book of Job, he's restored everything seven times, sevenfold. And then after the book of Job is the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is the king shows up, sit on the throne, which is a picture of this. Job, this is the book of Job. This is the book of Psalms. King David is a picture of Jesus Christ sitting on his millennial throne. Peter here talks about being tried like gold. And Job 23, 23.10 said, But he knoweth the way that I take when he hath tried me. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. What a beautiful picture the Bible gives us of these things that are going on. I asked you to find Ezekiel chapter 22. This is Israel in the tribulation period, what you're going to see now. Ezekiel chapter 22. We're almost done, by the way. A couple more hours, we're out of here. Ezekiel twenty-two fourteen. Can thine heart endure... Or can thine hands be strong in the days that I shall deal with thee? I, the Lord, have spoken it and will do it. Verse 17. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, the house of Israel is to me become dross. All they are brass and tin and iron and lead in the midst of the furnace. They are even the dross of silver. They're not like purified gold. They're base metal, ordinary metal, metal that's rejected by everyone and everything. Verse 19, therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because ye are become dross, behold, therefore, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem as they gather silver and brass and iron and lead and tin into the midst of the furnace to blow the fire upon it, to melt it. So will I gather you in mine anger and in my fury and I will leave you there and melt you. Yea, I will gather you and blow upon you in the fire of my wrath, and ye shall be melted in the midst thereof, as silver is melted in the midst of the furnace, so shall ye be melted in the midst thereof, and ye shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury upon you. Peter is saying the same thing. Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold, than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. You're going through the fire, Israel. You're going through it. There's no escaping this. The result, you'll be found unto praise and honor and glory 
at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Notice that the, that the manifold temptations and the fire precede the appearing. They come before the appearing of Jesus Christ. I asked you to mark Isaiah. Did I say 30? I think it's 33, sorry. Isaiah chapter 33 speaks of this time of burning before their eyes behold the king in his beauty. Isaiah chapter 33, notice verse 10. Now will I arise, now will I rise, saith the Lord. Now will I be exalted, now will I lift up myself. This is Acts chapter 7. Remember Peter, uh, Stephen is being stoned and he said, I see Jesus standing. The Lord is rising to judge. But that program was postponed. What is Jesus Christ doing now? Sitting. He's sitting down now. He sat back down. After the, the catching away of the body of Christ, he will stand again. Behold, the judge standeth at the door, Peter said. But notice Isaiah 33, 11. Ye shall conceive chaff. Ye shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you. And the people shall be as the burnings of lime. As thorns cut up shall they be burned in the fire. Hear ye that are far off what I have done, and ye that are near acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Those are the things coming upon Israel in the tribulation period. Who will, do, who will be able to dwell? Verse 15, he that walketh righteously. And speaketh uprightly, he that despiseth the gain of oppressions, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil. He shall dwell on high, his place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Bread shall be given him in the tribulation period. In the same way that God gave them manna back here, he's going to feed them supernaturally in the tribulation period. His waters shall be sure. Notice verse 17, thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. The king in his beauty is Jesus Christ when he returns. The land that is far off when they're going through the tribulation period is this millennial reign of Christ, the world to come. But before the millennial reign, before the millennial kingdom, Jesus Christ has to return. You know, and I also want to look at, real quick, uh, Matthew chapter 3, what John the Baptist said. You know, the biggest problem with Christianity today is that they look at the epistles of Paul and they understand truth from Paul's epistles. And then they try to take truth from Paul and bring it back back here and make this say what Paul was saying. And you can't do that. You know, if we want to know what John the Baptist is talking about, we have to look back at the same source he looked at. 
John the Baptist did not look, stand over here and look out here in the future to get his doctrine. John the Baptist looked back at what was, what was written, what was revealed to the prophets, and he's going by that. Plus, he is a prophet also. So God is speaking to him. But think about this for a second. There's been 400 years of silence. And then all of a sudden, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then John the Baptist begins to share a message with them that no one had ever heard. Notice in Matthew chapter 3, verse 5. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now where in the world did John the Baptist learn about coming wrath? How did he know about wrath was coming? Nothing was written about the future yet. Or he didn't go into the future and get it. He had to go back to the prophets and find out about this, to know about this wrath to come. Now since this wrath is coming, what does he tell Israel to do? Notice verse 8. Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Think not to say within yourself, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able to, of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Jesus Christ is here. And he's laying the axe to the root of Israel. That's the, the root is where the fruit comes from. And they got bad fruit and he's going to cut the root. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly, thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Notice verses 10, 11, and 12 all end with the same word. Notice that. What's the word? Fire. fire. Verse 11, when he speaks of baptizing them with the Holy Ghost, that happened right here. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down. When he says, we'll baptize you with fire. He's talking about this. The tribulation period. Pentecost was to empower the little flock to go into Daniel's 70th week. And rescue as many from Israel as they could. That was the purpose of Pentecost. That was the purpose of being powered with the Holy Spirit. That was the purpose of them speaking in tongues. So they could go to the nations of the world and rescue as many as they could. In 1 Peter, here's a group of people who will witness his appearing. They're being tried by fire. 
They're going through their manifold temptations. All these things must happen. And then notice the end of verse 7 in 1 Peter, chapter 1. Before the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now on this timeline, where is the appearing of Jesus Christ going to be? Here. Stop. Stop. (laughs) There. Okay. There. That's the appearing of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period. Now, since we arrived at Hebrews, after the rapture of the church, we've been confronted with the second coming of Jesus Christ more than once. You remember in Hebrews 9.28, unto him that look for him, unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Specifically speaking about this group of people. James tells his readers, be patient unto the coming of the Lord, for his coming draweth nigh. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. So we can be certain that Hebrews and James, they're not writing to the body of Christ. They're writing to Israel. The relationship these people have with Jesus Christ is not the same kind of relationship you have with Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form. We have been delivered from the wrath to come. They're going into the wrath to come. (laughs) Right? Is that good news? So as we enter into these tribulation epistles, the second coming of Jesus Christ is a prominent and a major doctrine. Notice, I'm almost done, okay? Because I know we're out of time, but... 1 Peter chapter 1, notice verses 8 to 12. Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation. Now they're going to receive that. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So notice what else now is on the scene in the tribulation period. Angels. You and I, we don't have angels. You don't have a guardian angel. You're in Christ. You know, you read in the Psalms, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about those that love him. That's Israel. We already looked at the revelation of Jesus Christ in verse 13. Notice verse chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. I'm not going to do any detail with this at all, except just to show you that Something else shows up in the tribulation period, namely the royal priesthood. The royal priesthood shows up in the, in the tribulation period. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. 
And so you're introduced to the end again. So as I close this out today, I'm not, I can't do any more details about these things, but as I close this out today, by way of reminding you, I want you to see the doctrines that we have encountered so far in the book of Hebrews, James, and 1 Peter. In the book of Hebrews, we're introduced to the prophets, the last days, the throne, signs and wonders, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. In James, we're introduced to those that are scattered, synagogues again, the kingdom, works, the second coming, the judge, enduring, and the three and a half years that he talked about with uh, the prophet Elijah, that he reigned, that he prayed and it did not reign. And then in Peter, scattered the last time, manifold temptations, tried by fire, the appearing, the revelation of Jesus Christ, angels, and the royal priesthood. Next week, we're going to start at the day of visitation. That's uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Peter talks about in the day of visitation. Oh, man. (laughs) And then his glory revealed judgment begins at the house of God, the chief shepherd. And then he says that he ends First Peter by saying, after you have suffered a while. He begins his epistle by saying, suffering for, for a season. And then at the end he says, after suffering for a while, then it'll be all over. See, rightly dividing the word of truth clarifies all this stuff for you, puts everything in its place, enables you to understand who's being written to, why he's writing it to them, what the prevailing conditions will be when this thing happens. It's all there for you. It's all there for you to see it, understand it, believe it, glory in it, and be thankful that you're not in it. Amen? I will say this today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior... This is a good day to get saved. Only because you may not be here tomorrow. People die suddenly these days for some reason. I don't know what's going on. But people die suddenly. Without reason. Without explanation. Whether it's cradle deaths. Babies dying in their... For no reason. Teenagers getting heart attacks. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in our world today. If you die and you are not ready to meet God, when you go into eternity, your first breath is a ball of fire. Trust me, that's not what you want. Trust me when I tell you. The Apostle Paul pleaded with men to come to Christ. He implored men. He said, I beseech you, come to Christ. There is a day coming when those of you who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, where you will rejoice with joy unspeakable yourself and full of glory, and you will never regret the decision. Because here's the truth about salvation. The time will come when it will be too late. It's never too early to decide that you want to be saved and that you want Jesus Christ as your Savior and you want to be forgiven of everything you've done in your past. 
It's never too early to do that. But there is a day coming when it will be too late for you to make that decision. And once you're gone into eternity, you can't change your mind. Today is the day of salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall you escape? So if you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's holding out his arms to you. He's not standing up there with a baseball bat saying, go ahead, make a mistake. For by grace are you saved through faith. God loves mankind. He loves us. And he sent his son to die and take our place and pay our penalty. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, you bow your heart before God and you tell him, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus Christ died for me, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day for me. And I'm trusting that to get me to heaven. I believe that. Amen? Amen. We don't give altar calls in this church. We don't ask you to come forward and shake my hand. Come say a prayer. This is a personal decision that you make between you and God. God is looking at your heart. And he knows what's in your heart. And he knows if you receive his son as your savior. He knows if you do that. And if you do, it will be evident. Amen? Amen. Lord, I thank you for this time that we could spend in the word of God, looking at First Peter. I pray that as we contemplate a message like this and words like this, that we look at our own heart and we ask ourselves, am I ready to meet God? And if I'm not, Lord, I want to be ready. I believe Jesus Christ died for me, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and he did that for me. I receive that truth to myself. I believe his blood will wash away all my sins. I pray these things today in that name that is above every name, the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.